Hello, everyone. I'm Lady, and I'm Alana, and this is Spookery. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Spookery. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Alana, welcome. Welcome to you. Welcome, lady. Welcome to this. Welcome to this. <laughs> <laughs> this. Oh, God. That's how you want to start the episode. Welcome to this. Look. Buckle in, guys. This, we all know what we're, we're here for. We know what this is. This is my mass murder episode. This is mass murder. So this is, it's a, it's a this. It's a this. It's a, it is this. So... Yeah, my topic this week that we are covering is mass murder, and the mass murder that I am covering today is my mass murder of the German language, because this <laughs> is going to be a struggle bus. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so I'm going to be struggle busting through a lot of language barriers, because I think I mentioned at the end of our last episode that I had to use Google Translate for a lot of my sources, so I'm just saying it right now, that there are going to be a lot of German words, and I am going to massacre them and i am so sorry germany i am so sorry for all of the crimes that i am about to commit but i tried i looked up so many of them and you know sometimes google be wrong that's all we can ask you to do is just try we're doing our best here and you know the good thing is is i don't know germ better than you do so i mean i'm not gonna correct you yeah well unfortunately you are very aware of what my german accent sounds like which is an abomination. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, I my, my German accent is up here, and we are going to not do this for this story, but I, oh. I'm not going to attempt to do that for any of this story, but just so you know that that is the only German accent I can do, and it is basically Jürgen from the Great British Bake Off, and I apologize <laughs> to everyone. So I'm just getting my apologies out of the way before we get into this, because I... It's a German story. It's a German mass murder. I don't know German. I can't speak German. I've never learned German. I've, I, don't, I don't think I know a German. And the only German accent I can do is, uh, is the Yoohoo Big Summer Blowout from Frozen. It's just, it's not a good time. So, we're still... You're doing your best, ma'am. And I appreciate you for it. I'm, I'm ready for this German tale. This is a German tale. It is... Uh, Yes. Okay. So that we're getting that out of the way. I'm <laughs> just this. I'm airing this. So this the story that I'm going to tell you today is a little mass murder known as Hinterkaifeck. Hmm. Have you heard? I of feel it? like I've heard that. I've heard that word. Hinterkaifeck. It's a very famous mass murder. It's a very famous German mass murder. Um, it's more commonly referred to as the Hinterkaifeck murders because Hinterkaifeck is a location. Um, but yeah, I am referring okay. to this story as Hinterkaifeck because the mass murder is, is the key focus, but there is so much tragedy before the mass murder that we need to talk about that just focusing on the murders doesn't feel, doesn't feel good. So we're going to talk about yeah. the whole tragedy of Hinterkaifeck, not just the mass murder of Hinterkaifeck. Gotcha. Painting that whole picture. I paint it up. It's the context. I love the context. The and context. This, the context of this story is so steeped in the story that there's very little context for me to just air out the beginning. So uh, we're going to get into it very shortly. Uh, but yes, we're talking about the Hinterkaifeck murders. So the Hinterkaifeck murders, it's a story about a German family known as the Gruber family. 
And it is about the events that took place on the 31st of March in 1922. So it's an old, uh, old time. Because I just can't get myself out of the old tamis. That's all right. Yeah. Get it out of your system. You know, like Bonnie and Clyde, Ouija boards, Kids for Kaifek, we doing it. And you will probably, this will sound familiar because it is a very, very famous case. This is, um, it's, I think it's considered the most gruesome and puzzling crime in German history outside of the World Wars. Oh, okay. It is. It, yeah, I've, I've heard of the name before, but I, I know nothing about it. Yes. Um, so the Hinterkaifeck murders, these events took place on the 31st of March, 1922, and our victims are Andreas and Cecilia Gruber, who were 63 and 72, respectively. Their daughter, Victoria uh, Gabrielle, who was 35 at the time, and Victoria's children, Cecilia and Joseph. Okay. So they lived in a small farmstead in Upper Bavaria with their brand new housemaid, Maria Baumgartner, who was 45 at the time and had just started work that day. Oh. So it's a... Shame. Yeah. Bad day. Bad day to start. Really yeah. just really unfortunate timing all around. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people talked about that first bad day, but I think that takes the cake. Yeah. No, this... I think... Well, we'll get into it, but she was not there for very long. Um, so pretty much like this whole farmstead is just steeped in tragedy from before the mass murder. It's just decades of misfortune. And I, I really do think that the misfortune that came before does contribute to the story. So we're going to talk about the history of Hinterkaifeck, which is this Bavarian farmhouse. And pretty much the decades of misfortune that has occurred in this house. So yeah, give me the context. Give me the context. All right. So also before we get into the story, I'm also going to flag that there is a trigger warning for this particular episode. We are going to be talking about incest. And I guess in some in some reports, it's not just incest, but it's also sexual assault. So just know that that, that is in this story. So if this is not a story for you, if mass murder and incest is just not for you, that's okay. We'll see you next episode for our lovely conspiracy theory that Alana is putting together as we speak. But if you're here for the long haul, let's get into this this tragedy. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about the family history. We'll talk about the events right before the crime, the crime itself, and the aftermath. It's also an unsolved crime, so we're going to be talking about theories and possible suspects. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say state it right here. I went into the story with a very clear bias, and I thought I knew what was going on. I thought I knew who did this, and as I was doing research it all kind of fell apart for me. So I don't have a clear suspect in mind. And maybe as we're talking about it, my, my perspective will shift. I really hope it does. Hmm. But as, as of right now, I, as I was doing the story, I thought about, I thought it was a particular person and I don't think it's that person anymore. I'll tell you at the end who it is, but we're going to get into the story first. Hmm. All right. I'm very interested to see, yeah, who, who we all draw our conclusions to first, if we follow the same path as you or if we... Yeah. End up getting straight to the end like you did. I think, hmm. yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you'll travel the road less traveled by and it'll make all the difference. Who's to say? Right? Maybe we'll come up with a completely new theory that you hadn't thought of before. You know, I, I can only hope. I will, I'll talk, well, I've got a couple of suspects that we'll discuss at the end and the floor is open, guys. Like, please. I'd love to hear theories. Well, I'm ready. Anna. I'm totally ready. Bring it on. All man. right. So let's go into the context. Let's talk about some context. The context. All right. So, Hitler Kaifek. Uh, it's an isolated farmstead about 70 kilometers or 43 miles north of Munich. Uh, it's located in Upper Bavaria. It's just outside of what used to be Kaifek. 
So Hitzer Kaifek means behind Kaifek. The area is not called Kaifek anymore. It's now a place called Weidhofen. Mm. Um, the farm was first built in 1863, just before Bavaria became part of the German Empire. So this farm was not built on German land, but it was very, it very quickly became German land. And gotcha. you know, Bavaria joined the German Empire for World War One. Yeah, so Bavaria is new to Germany. Just keep that in mind. Um, gotcha. It's also not known who built the farm. Uh, I could not. Okay. I've, I've scoured through documents. I could not find who built the farm. I don't think it's known. Those documents have either been destroyed or lost. But it was acquired by a man named Johann Assem, who then transferred it over to his son Josef Assem on April twenty fourth, nineteen seventy seven. So we'll talk more about the Assams in just one second. But first, we're going to talk about Cecilia Assam, who we'll later know as Cecilia Gruber. So Cecilia Assam was previously Cecilia Sandvacher and was born November 27th, 1949 in Gettelsbach, Bavaria. Oh my goodness. <laughs> there are so, I'm so sorry. It's not, it, I, every time I look at these long words, I just want to like... I want to put some oops into it, and it's just... <laughs> you are doing a heckin' good job, ma'am. I, I, I mean, with my limited knowledge of the German language, I think you're killing it. So, please, people write in. Tell me if I'm doing it. Uh, tell me if I did it right. Tell me if I did it wrong. I need to know. I need to be able to correct my mistakes. <laughs> I'm purposefully avoiding saying any of the names because I feel like I will do an even worse job. Oh, so. I'm not, you're, not, you're not safe from this. Because <laughs> I'm just... I'm letting you know. <laughs> okay. We'll get there when we get there. So... So Cecilia Sandvacher, uh, she was born to Martin Sandupfer and Monica Sandhuter. Yes, she had four siblings and she married Josef Assam, the person, the, the, the son of the man who acquired Hinterkaifeck on May 14th, 1877. So okay. through this marriage, she became the co-owner of Hinterkaifeck, which looks, from what I can see, seems to be a very common thing, is that when you married into a farm owner or someone who owned land, you became the co-owner. It wasn't discriminatory in any way, shape, or form. Like, if you were the wife, if you were the farm's wife, you had just as much a claim to the like the farm as your husband. So, yeah. Good on you, good. Germany. Yeah. Good on you. We love to see it. Yeah. So, after the marriage, she lived there with her husband, his younger sister, Victoria, and her father-in-law, Johan. Yes, I saw, I saw your face. Yes, that's another Victoria. Different Victoria. Okay, yeah. I was like, uh... Yeah, so this is our second Victoria. Okay. You don't need to worry if, too uh, much about her. She's. Can we call one Vicky, maybe? Like, the, I would call this like, one Vicky. I would call this one Vicky, but say, Ki, I would say come up with a couple more, because this is not the last Victoria we've seen. Is that... Did they, did they struggle to come up with other names? Is that just their favorite name? You know, there's just a lot of people with the same name, and I would say they're very beautiful names, and I don't blame them one bit for wanting to share this beautiful name amongst the community. I, it is a great name, but I mean, there's a lot of other beautiful names. <laughs> as far as we I can tell, in, fight over the one. in Kaifek at the time, there were only five names. And everyone oh, had that's... one of five names. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's, I, I mean, it, to be fair, that's how it was in, like, you know, early in Italy and stuff. It was like, there's, like, just every other person is Maria. Yeah. That's... We have a Maria, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. Yes. All right, continue. So in this house, we have... Cecilia, we have her husband, Josef, we have Victoria, and we have her father-in-law, Johan. So, okay. Cecilia and Josef had their first child in 1977, uh, and she was a daughter who unfortunately died shortly after being born. Then they had a son named Martin in 1879, and a daughter named Cecilia in 1881. <laughs> 
Okay. We're just recycling those names again. <laughs> Which is a really pretty name. So that's our second city. Right. I hope you're keeping count. So it's it's Victoria's turn next. Let's go. Let's keep it going. After that, they had another son named Andreas in 1883. <laughs> so Of course they did. So sometime around 1880, I couldn't find a specific date, Victoria, I guess you're Vicky. What? Victoria, okay. you're Vicky. I'm like, which one? Yeah, the sister-in-law. That that the the of original Victoria isn't hasn't been born yet. She's not she's not around yet. That's fair. So this Victoria, first Victoria, she got married and she left the farm. She's okay. she got out of there. She was like, you know what? There's too many Victorias in this town. I'm out of here. Yeah. So then Johann, her father father-in-law, passed away January third, eighteen eighty-four, and her husband Josef tragically died a year later to pneumonia. Oh. Yeah, so within a span of like four years, she is now the only one in this house with her small, small kids. How how big is this farm? Have we stated how big this farm was? It's pretty. Like, it's so- a pretty decent sized farm. I will post pictures of what the farm looked like and how it was configured on Instagram because it is important to kind of know the layout because the layout does kind of come into it a little bit later. It's a, it's a strange layout from what I could see. It's a lot of buildings kind of connected, but it's like the, it's the main farmhouse. Then connected to the farmhouse is a stable, and then there are two barns connected to that. So it's kind of like in an L shape. Okay. Um, I mean, it's a decent size. You know, yeah. a family can live there comfortably, but it's also, I think, from what I can see, the, the the farmland was big enough where you needed help to manage the land. Gotcha. That's why I was at, I wasn't sure, like you know, her being there by herself. If she yeah is this manageable? Is she good? Does she need help? Like a lot of my sources do make mention to a lot of farmhands, uh, and we'll talk about a couple of them throughout the story. But so there were farmhands that did come in to help. But as of right now, it's her, her small kids, and hired help. And you know, okay. as a woman in the 1800s, this is not a good outcome. No, I mean not the not the ideal outcome for her, but she's. You know, doing what she got to do. Yeah. I respect it. So Man. around this time as well, her son Andreas, who is our youngest, also passes away. It's implied that he died before his father. I could not find when he specifically died. There's no birth, uh, sorry, there's no death certificate. It's just sort of like he just stopped being a character and we never see him again. So he, it's implied, though, that he had died before his father because he wasn't there to inherit the farm before his father passed away. So kind ah, of like the okay. way think these kind of things worked was like when you had an established heir, they they would inherit the farm. They they were they would have some sort of inheritance that they would like be awarded. And gotcha. little baby Andreas did not have any, so unfortunate for little Andreas. Yeah, so we're not sure, but he he did he did pass away unfortunately around this time. So Cecilia now has this farm, two young kids, and this is 1885. So this is not an easy time as a single mother. Yeah. So Cecilia made a, a decision and she married one of her farmhands named Andreas Gruber on April 14th, 1886. Another Andreas. Another. This is the original Andreas, the first one we talked about. Oh, um, it is. Okay, we're bringing yeah. him back. So this is. We got a number of these people. I'm yeah. getting confused already. This is, this is the Gruber. We are back now. We are now. We have Andreas and Cecilia Gruber. I should have. The name makes sense. You should. I should have recognized. <laughs> we only talked about it briefly. You're okay. Uh, so yeah, so this marriage happened less than one year after the her death of her husband. So this was a really quick turnaround, and you know I don't blame her. Times are tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You do what like, you gotta do. Do what you do gotta do, said Celia. So let's talk about Andreas Gruber. Yeah. So he was born November 9th, eighteen fifty-eight, in Grandstetten, Bavaria, to Andreas and Martina Gruber. <laughs> I now, wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> you know, we just we just love the names. 
Um, he was six years younger than Cecilia, and he was the eldest of at least five siblings and grew up on his parental farm in Grandstetten. Okay. So he's a hardworking dude, young's buck, and she's like, you know, I'm, I'm going for someone who's going to last know? longer than I am. Yeah, I mean, I, she wasn't particularly old at this time, you know, he was helping around the farm. But what's interesting is I, I couldn't find a lot about his upbringing, but I do know that even though he was the eldest son, he was not in line to inherit his family farm. Like, he was not even in the running. It was instead awarded to the, his, his, the second oldest brother, Michael, in, 18, in 1893. So something was going on there. Either, like, he had a disagreement with his parents, or there was something... <laughs> cut up, out of that will real quick. Yeah, there's something going on there, and, like, we'll see some of his behavior later, and I'm like, you know, maybe this was an early warning sign. But... Mm, yeah. Just so you know, he was not in line to get his Grandstetten farm in the slightest... So instead, he did. He was a farmhand for other people's farms, particularly Hinterkaifeck. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. So Andreas and Cecilia then have three kids: a daughter named Victoria, who is the Victoria we will be talking about. Beautiful. In 1887, a daughter named Sophie in 1889, who tragically dies in 1891, age two. So oh. she did not live very long. And another daughter who died shortly after being born in 1892. Oh man. So. This, like I've said, there's a lot of death in this house, and it really is yeah. just kind of it's of the time. It's it's a Germany in in the 1800s. Yeah. This is not a this is not a time to be alive, quite frankly. This, this is, is not a time to be alive. <laughs> if you want to live, don't be born then. This is not the, this, this is not the time frame. It's like death was really really common, and it, like death is very casual in this story, which is what makes the mass murder so tragic, is because there's a lot of death in this story that is just it's unavoidable, and then someone goes as far as to commit. A crime later on that is this horrible horrible thing it's 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 such a jarring reality of like casual death to in, intended death yeah it's yeah it's 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 quite a time because there is a like you said a very big difference i think like you said just between like the death is where we accept you know we're all gonna die one day it's it's gonna happen but it's a very different thing when it's taken from you when it's completely out of your control and it's the doing of another person it's, a, it's an intentional act that is a completely different topic it's a completely different feeling it's there's not even resolution to that as as a family you know yeah. i'm sure as we will see you said this isn't solved so yeah it's just yeah it, it's it's just it's just a really weird feeling where you talk about how much death happened in the house that was just mm-hmm. sort of like it was just sort of accepted and it was unavoidable and it was just of the time and then the death yeah the death comes later on and it's just like whoa that's it's very it's a very it's just a weird juxtaposition and i think it's why the talking about all of the death in the house before is so important because it really yeah. does frame just sort of i guess the energy of this house this feeling this vibe that this this farmhouse had like yeah from like pretty much the beginning until the end it was just full of death yeah that's interesting yeah. i mean not in a good way but i mean it's interesting yeah and it maybe it, yeah we'll, well we'll talk about it we'll, we'll get into it we'll talk about it yeah, yeah. so i'm gonna recap on all the kids because there was a, there was a lot of a lot. births a lot of deaths so as of right now, we have Martin Assam and Cecilia Assam, who were the two kids that survived from the first marriage. And now we have Victoria Gruber. There were seven in total. We only have three. Wow. Yeah. So wow. in 1902, Cecilia Assam, the daughter from the first marriage, is married to a man named Josef Staringer, another Josef, and leaves Yosef. the farm. So she gets out. Okay. She's like, don't want to be here. See you later. I'm going to go marry this lovely Staringer. Bye bye, buddy boo. Yeah, she gets out of the farm. Her. So there's another Cecilia gone. Shortly after, 
Victoria becomes the heir to Hinterkaifeck. Mm, okay. And in some sources, she was listed just directly as the owner. So either she was the heir or the owner, but she was officially made heir owner of Hinterkaifeck in 1914. So then Victoria, well, I mean, and also keep in mind, she also has a brother, an older brother, a much older brother named Martin. Yeah. And I'm like, I guess that this is under, I'm, I'm going to assume that this is Andreas is doing. Martin is from the first marriage. He's not a Gruber. He's an Assam. So yeah. Victoria being the only Gruber, I guess like this is favoritism at its finest. But yeah, he's like, no, this is going to my kid. Not, you, not that other guys. But I think that goes to show what the relationship between the Assam kids and the Groupers was like. I'm sure it also, like, I mean, he was the oldest himself who did not get to inherit his own farm, so it's almost like a like a weird, like, revenge thing that he's, like, doing to someone else's kid of just, like, well, I didn't get my family farm, neither are you. Deal with it. I, you have fucking hit the nail on the head, ma'am. I think <laughs> I think so much of Andreas's behavior as a parent, as a guardian, as a, as a farm owner, as a person comes from this feeling of I've lost out. I should have yeah. been the owner of this farm. I, sh- I should have had so much that should have been mine and I was denied that so I'm going to take it out on the other the people around me. And yeah. we're, we'll, we'll get into that very, very shortly but it's, I think you're, you're very much like, I didn't get my farm so I'm going to take it out on somebody else. Yeah. The parallel parallels are not usually so uh, transparent and just obvious. Yeah. But sometimes they are. And you're and, just like, wow, sir. And I, that's why I think talking about the, the history of this farm is important because it really, like, most sources that I found didn't even talk about these these kids and, like, and the, the fact that there were other kids in the house to, up to a certain point. They're, mm-hmm. they're not even mentioned. It's just like, here are these five people and they're made it. They lived in this farm and everything was fine and then they died. And it's like... yeah. There's so many people and moving parts in this story, and it's just like they're so important that you like, you gotta understand what's going on around this farm. Like you have to know, and just yeah, here I am. I'm giving it to you. Yeah, no, we appreciate the research, man. I'm here for it. So, Victoria Gruber, she is heir of Hinterkaifeck. She is then she then marries a man named Carl Gabriel on April third, nineteen fourteen. So pretty much the year that she becomes the heir, the heir of Hinterkaifeck, she marries a man named Carl Gabriel. She becomes Victoria Gabrielle, which is how she got her last name. Ah, okay. Carl is then drafted into military service that same year and died on December 12th, 1914 in France. Wow. Yep, in World wow. War One. That's unfortunate. You gotta remember. So yeah. there's only two kids actually alive at this point. No, so... And one of them is... No, no, so there's three kids alive. One has left the farm and gotten married. So she's out. Yeah. Now there's two kids on the farm who are both alive, Martin and Victoria. Victoria's ah. husband, she's just now... Victoria's married, but her husband moves into the farm because she's the uh, the farm owner. Gotcha. Her husband is immediately drafted into World War One, and he dies very shortly after in World War One. Gotcha. So... Now we have a widow who is pregnant. Mm. Yep. Next month, after Carl dies, Victoria gives birth to their daughter, Cecilia Gabrielle, January 9th, 1915. So there's another wow. Cecilia, but I'm going to call this Cecilia Celie, which was her nickname. That's what her oh. family called her. So I'm going to refer to the, the this, this young daughter as Celie for the rest of the story. She is unfortunately one that is mentioned at the beginning. Gotcha. So she she is a, another victim of Hinterkaifeck. And gotcha. it's, we're going to call her Celie now also so we don't confuse her with her grandmother. Because yeah. 
that will get confusing. It's a, there's a lot of Cecilias, there's a lot of Victorias, there's a lot of Josephs, and there's a lot of Andreases. <laughs> hey, they picked some good names, and they said, "Why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it." You know, I I agree. They're very they're very wonderful names. So this is the point now where we're gonna get into our trigger warning of incest. So if you don't want to hear it, please skip ahead. I'll put it in the show notes where you know. So just so you know, yeah, we're gonna get into this, and unfortunately, is is very deeply woven into the story. Yeah. So. 1915, Andreas Gruber and Victoria Gabrielle were convicted of having an incestuous relationship for over a three-year period from 1907 to 1910. That's not what I expected. I Three years, whole. Three years. They were convicted for three years, but that doesn't mean it didn't last longer. It doesn't mean that it stopped. Those are two facts I'm not happy you're knowing. Unfortunately, remember, this is 1915 <laughs> yeah. when they were convicted, and the time period is 1907 to 1910, which is five years before. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am just going to put it out there. I don't think, this is just my opinion, I don't think it was just a three-year contained period. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Mm. Yeah. So what's the punishment for that? Like, you get convicted and then what? Well, let's get into it, shall we? Yeah. Because we haven't even, I haven't even told you how they were convicted. No, I, I, tell me all the details. I will tell you the details. So, according to the reports that I can find, and get ready because this is a little confusing, Victoria was really good friends with her neighbor, Victoria. <laughs> of, of course she was. Why wouldn't she be? Her, her, one of her, I think it was her next door neighbor, or it was a very close neighbor, Victoria Sch- uh, Schlittenbauer. And that's an important mm-hmm. last name. So remember Victoria Schlittenbauer. And the two got very close. They were, they were very close families. So after getting close, Victoria Gruber confided in Victoria Schlittenbauer that Victoria could no longer stand being in front of her father because he always wanted to have sexual intercourse. Oh. And she confided in 1915. So once again, this is why I don't think it, it was just over a three-year period. But, let, you know, do with that what you will. Um... Also, from what I can see, this was not a consensual relationship. It wasn't that, you know, they were, you know, this was, there was something going on. I really do think that this is, once again, this is Andreas Gruber manifesting something from his childhood that I couldn't find anything about. And he was just a gross and really awful person. And he hurt someone who trusted him. Yep. Unfortunately, there's too many people in the world like that. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, it's just it's a really really awful thing. Well, it's good that she confided in someone. Yeah, she was like, I don't, I'm not feeling, I don't <clears throat> like this. Yeah. Also, Victoria Schlittenbauer hears this and she's like, whoa. So she goes and like, tells bomb her, drop. Yeah, like, she's you like, just, you just like casually throw that out there. They're like having tea one day and she's just like, yeah, you know, like I just hate this. Yeah, she's like, girl, just, what? It's like I don't like my dad for this reason. She's like, I, I didn't ask. Yeah, and that's the whole. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, I'm glad she confided in someone. Yeah, so she confided in Victoria Schlittenbauer, who immediately goes to tell her husband, Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Mm-hmm. And Lorenz is like, that is fucked up. Yeah. And he reports the relationship to the police. And the incest, natural reaction. Yeah, incest is, was, a, was a really grave crime as well at this time, especially in Bavaria. So the mm-hmm. two were immediately arrested and convicted with the testimony from the Schlittenbauers and other neighbors. Because apparently they were also like, yeah, there's something weird going on with this, with Andreas and Victoria. They're, there's something up with that. There's, it's not a, that's not a normal, like, parental love relationship. Yeah. Hmm. 
That's and interesting. Some, okay. some of my sources also mentioned that Victoria's half-brother, Martin, Martin Asim, there's also a, a couple of my sources references, but it wasn't in all of them. So it's worth mentioning, but take this with a grain of salt. Uh, so Martin Assam possibly saw his stepfather and half-sister while he was living at the house and, you know, saw what was going on. Mm-hmm. And also Martin was the eldest and he probably was also like, hey, I should have been the one to acquire Hinterkaifeck. It should have been my farm. This should be yeah. my inheritance. But when Victoria became the inheritor and he became second in line and also received a much lower inheritance, like, yeah, like... I think like the, the the percentage of money. If like if Victoria had like a thousand dollars, Martin had mm-hmm. like two hundred. Like oh, it was like okay. a way off in the inheritance. Yeah, so they're like you can have a cow if it's left. Yeah, it's it was really like you really were like you're not part of this family sort of thing. This is what yeah. I can understand of of how Martin was treated throughout the story. So so he had no problem spilling yeah. the beans on this. Like he was just like yeah fuck those guys. But also that's that's also a possible like other motive like maybe why he would be really like gung ho about this was like oh if I can get them in trouble, maybe I can get something out of this. So, yeah. So I, take take that with those. It wasn't in all of my sources, so take that with a grain of salt. Maybe Martin testified. Maybe he had a, a, an incentive to do so. I'm not sure, but yeah. I think it's worth mentioning. Yeah. At any rate... It's a possible motive, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At any rate, the two were sentenced to one year in prison each. How old was... I'm not sure how old they were at this time. Uh, Okay. This was before, a couple of years before, so Victoria would have been in her late 20s, and Andreas would have been in his late 50s, early 60s, I'm gonna say. Mm. I'm not gonna make it any better, any worse, I just was curious. Yeah, I I didn't write down their specific ages for this moment, um just also because the records are just wiggly wibbly wobbly yeah it sounds like you said things are kind of just all over the place yeah but. yeah huh. so they were both sentenced to one year in prison but a lot of my reports said victoria only served one month and mm. i could say that this is also possibly because she was a new mother she you know had just had this this baby cecilia so maybe she only served one month and then she was released early so she could take care of her newborn because she was a widow that makes sense uh, another thing to add to this part of this horrible history, um, Victoria was always adamant that Carl Gabriel was Silly's father. But because of the conviction, her parentage was always kind of in doubt. It was never confirmed that Carl was her father. And a lot of people speculated that Andreas was actually the baby's father because of this relationship. Hmm. But... Victoria was always like, no, 100%. Carl was the father. And there's that. There's also something to consider here that Carl, before he was sent off to war and killed, he didn't live in Hinterkaifeck. So he kind of, he married Victoria. They were like together in Hinterkaifeck for a couple of months. And then he returned to his own homestead. So he returned to his family farm and lived there for a time before he departed to war. Oh, so the chances are even more slim. It's, it's, it's a weird time frame. And a lot of witnesses claimed he left as a result uh, because of the assaults. So he saw what was going on with his wife and his father-in-law and was like, I need to get out of here. Yeah. So it kind well, of, it also kind of creates this further shadow of Celie's parentage, essentially. Yeah. So. Huh. Very suspicious timing. We don't know. We just don't. Yeah. So naturally, because they were like publicly convicted this was now super public dirty laundry and the whole of Kaifek knew it 
Yeah. So how big how big was this town that they were in? Did we yeah, actually no, specify like? I, I couldn't see because Kaifek unfortunately does it doesn't it's not Kaifek anymore it's kind of yeah. rezoned it's like it's Weidhofen there's there I'm not sure yeah. how big the original Kaifek was I'm not sure how much is retained yeah. um, but I think it's like a decent sized town and there were a lot of farms we'll, we'll talk about a lot of the neighbors as the story goes on but there were a lot of people around here and okay. everyone kind of knew the Grubers in town for one yeah. reason or another. I mean, news, bad news travels pretty fast. Yeah, so. and gossip, especially where, like, did you hear what happened at the Gruber house? Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was around town in a day. Oh, just you wait. Just you wait. Oh, gosh. Just you wait. So, <laughs> uh, naturally, uh, Andreas and Victoria returned home after their respective prison sentences, one year, one month, whatever it may be. But the town was pretty much like that's still going on and like pretty much the entire of Kaifek was convinced that this was like the the whole thing was still happening I I'm optimistic but uh, I'm gonna be honest like it it probably was not contained within a three-year period and I'm gonna say that one year in prison is probably not gonna curb this behavior yeah probably not yes so unfortunately now remember at this time as well there's a little thing called World War One happening in the background. It's what claimed Carl Gabriel, and he would not be the only member of the family to be claimed by the war. Oh. So Martin, Martin SM, the eldest of the eldest son, mm-hmm. was drafted into World War One in nineteen fifteen, same year that his stepfather and half sister were convicted, and he fell in the line of duty in nineteen sixteen at the age of thirty six. Wow. So, so this is a crazy year for the family. Yeah, so now there are only two surviving kids, which is Cecilia and Victoria. Cecilia is married to another farmstead. She's living her best life somewhere else. Victoria's yeah. the only one left that can inherit Hinterkaifeck. Wow. Okay. Yes. Speaking of tragedy, July of 1918, Victoria Schlittenbauer, the next-door neighbor who Victoria confided in, also passed away. Just, like, out of nowhere? I could not find a cause. She just That's suspicious. I'm gonna say it was probably illness, yeah. but I I think you're fair. It's fair to be suspicious, especially with who her husband was. So her husband, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, he's the one that kind of told the police about what was happening over in the Gruber house. But naturally, he's devastated. And originally, he was very close with the Gruber family, Victoria Gabrielle in particular. Oh no. So the two, they start a courting. Within, like, the span of months of losing his wife, Lorenz is like, I cannot be, I mean, I cannot live my life without a Victoria. Wow. There's a, con- there's a convenient one over there. I bet that's the line that got her. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't live my life without a Victoria. Yeah. There's I so many need... to choose from. Like, how could you just, how could you just choose one? And that's what, that's what, like, really honored. Like, she's like, there's so many and you she chose me. Like, Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I... Oh, yeah. Courting back in the day was easy. Courting, man, you know. It's the courtship of it all. Well, so... The romance. The romance of it all. Uh, (laughs) So, Lorenz and Victoria, they start a courting, and things get very serious very quickly. Same year they start courting, same year that Victoria Schlittenbauer passed away, they're like, hey, wouldn't it be crazy if we got married? Oh my gosh. Wouldn't that be like... Why did I know you were going to say that? But I'm also extremely disappointed in them at the same time. Like, I'm just like, oh, like a parent just shaking my head right now. Like, of course. I mean, 
for I guess for us in our time period, it is like, whoa, that's really, that's like not in good taste. But also like, keep in mind, Victoria's mother, Cecilia Gruber, did the exact same thing with her husband and her new husband. You're not wrong, actually. So. <laughs> that's just the time. Like, this is, it's just the time. And they they don't got much time, so you better live it. Okay? But I think especially as a widowed mother, yeah. Like, you know, you know how women were treated. Like, if you were a single mother, you were, like, ostracized. People did not like you. You were impure. You were taken, like, yeah. you were tainted. Someone else had yeah. touched you. Like, you you weren't worth the dirt you walked on. So the fact that another gentleman was like, I don't care that you're a single mother with kids already. I yeah, like you. You jump on that. Like, whoa. Like, what a yeah. what a revolutionary idea. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, please come in here and inherit the Hinterkaifeck farm. Absolutely. And yeah. Andreas was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> he was like, don't you touch my daughter. Well. No freaking surprise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like, uh, unfortunately, he is her father, and he actually went as far as to ban any further marriage prospects with his daughter, period. Not just with Lorenz, but ever. He uh, was like, you will never remarry. Ever. Aren't they neighbors, too? Like, that's the funny part of They're this happening. Neighbors. He's just like, nope, you can't have her. And he's just like, well, I'm just going like, to go next door, dad. Like, they are they are neighbors and they're they were close and they were yeah. uh, like they're like past each other on the street i think uh, some of my sources said that lorenz was like the town guide like he was like the person to know <laughs> and he is getting shafted by this family that's that's so funny that like there's the family to talk about and then there's the guide to know like he's he's uh, yeah it's it's that's interesting. And, i don't know yeah like you just you can't make this up well 1919, the following year, Victoria gives birth to her second child. Mm. Out of wedlock. A healthy baby boy named Josef Gruber. Are they allowed to get married now, sir? Well, so here's the thing. Victoria states that Lorenz is the father. They had a very intimate relationship when they were courting. When they were in yeah. that, that, that throes of passion and rebound of whatever those feelings were, they were passionate. Yeah. And so Victoria's like, absolutely, he's the father. Put it on the birth certificate. Father of this kid is is L.S. <laughs> Lorenz Schlippenbauer. Yeah. And Lorenz is like, that ain't my kid. No way. Oh. Uh-uh. Oh, okay. No. I didn't expect that response. No, he was like, no, that is not my kid. And he's like, hey, guys, remember that conviction that this family had a couple years ago? No, he didn't. He is like, the father of this baby is not me, but her father, Andreas. People what of Kaifek. It's happened again. He was like, let's take this to court, baby. This is happening again. And look what we have created. There's this baby named Yosef. And he is not mine. He is Andreas. I I am just appalled at the audacity of that man. But I'm like, also like, was he wrong? I don't know, but I still, the audacity. <laughs> I don't know. And I think but that's he, I don't problem. think he knew either. No, nobody knew. I don't, there, there was no way to know, but uh, I think I'm that. I'm so just, ah. Uh. That's the problem. Nobody knew, and there was no way to know. Yeah. But both choices were very viable, unfortunately. If only someone had blue eyes or something. <laughs> so they go to court about it. They go to court about it. They're like, we're going to take this to court, baby. It's like, Andreas is like, no, you've got you've to take responsibility for knocking my daughter up. And Lorenz is like, I didn't do it. It's you, you crazy motherfucker. You horrible. We'll get you convicted a second time, baby. You're not allowed to marry her, but also step up. You got her pregnant, sir. Like, yeah. I love the, the dichotomy on that. Well, see, there's the motive, right? There's the motive. Because if you take responsibility, but you're not getting married, what does that mean? It means money, baby. 
It does. So how do they decide this? Is it like whoever the baby crawls to? Like, <laughs> that's the that's the dad. He crawled to that one. That's him. Like, how do you decide this? Like, what, okay. do they have paternity tests in so, 1922? The way that it went was at first it was 100% on Lorenz's side with like, yeah, Andreas, like you've kind of got like a reputation of being kind of a motherfucker. <laughs> So, like, it's you're kind of a son of a bitch. You're kind of a son of a bitch, you know? Like, you're kind of a dick. You're kind of an asshole. And, and Lorenz was like, yeah, absolutely. Can I change my statement? <laughs> what? And then the courts were like, wait, Lorenz, you're changing your statement? And he's like, yeah, I just want to retract a couple of the things I said because they, they weren't true. <laughs> what? And the courts were like, if they weren't true, then you have no. What? You can't just retract some of them. You were no longer... What? (laughs) So, yeah, he became an unreliable witness because he was like, just kidding, I want to backtrack some of my statements. And the courts were like, that's not how that works. Unfortunately, we have to go with Andreas on this one because you backtracked. And he almost got away with it if it weren't for his meddling stupid self. Like, what the frick? Like, I'm so appalled that he literally... I feel like he was literally about to, if this was him, he was about to get away with it. He's about to walk out scot-free. He blamed this baby on the other man. And then he's just like, you know what? Actually, hold my beer. Yeah, he was like, wait, you guys aren't fucking this up for me. Let me do it myself. Uh, yeah, literally, self-sabotage, man. Okay. I, really, I think it really was. But I also, like, Lorenz is a very interesting character throughout this whole story. And I, there's a couple of explanations. There's a couple of motivations. Well, I will get all into all of it, but... Essentially, what came out of it was Lorenz was forced to pay alimony and child support for Yosef. So now okay. he's paying as a baby daddy. He's like, w- whether he's your kid or not, he's your kid. Here you go. I, and they're just neighbors this whole time, too. And they're just neighbors this whole time. I love that. I, w- I like to think that he like doesn't want to talk to them, so he still puts like the, the child uh, like check in like the mail and like makes the mailman walk it over to the next house because like, he like won't deliver it himself. Don't, don't read ahead. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't get ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I swear if that actually is foreshadowing. <laughs> we'll get there. So, oh, man. November 1920, two years before the murder. Okay. The family hires a new maid to work for the family called Kressensreiger. My guess is that she was to help around the farm, kind of help take care of the kids. You know, Cecilia and Andreas. Cecilia Sr. and Andreas are getting older now. They're, they're approaching their 70s, their 60s. And I'm like, look people in that time period they didn't really last much longer after that victoria is a single widowed mother with two small kids and all of her surviving siblings have either left the farm and the other ones have not unfortunately not been able to leave the farm so help greatly needed they're like get in here peasants we need you yeah no background check just yeah just get in here baby like no questions asked a year later crescent's Riker's like i'm out of here bitch i'm quitting (laughs) <laughs> I wonder like, why. <laughs> I cannot work under these conditions, but not for the reason you think. Oh. She's like, I can't work here because the house is heckin' haunted, guys. Oh, that's not the reason I would have thought. No. No, she correct. was like, guys, this house is motherfucking haunted. I cannot work under these conditions. Who did who did she claim it was haunted by? Well, so Riger had been hearing some strange sounds throughout the house, specifically mm-hmm. from the attic. Mm-hmm. And the noises were especially loud at night. Mm. So Riker's like, hey, boss Andreas, sir, there, your house is haunted. We should do something about this. And Andreas is like, there is no ghost. What are you, what are you saying to me right now? There is no ghost. <laughs> 
in this house. There, wait, nobody has died in this house. There is no ghost in this house. Yeah. Uh, and that Riker's like, like some, that's exactly what someone would say if there was a ghost in the house. Riker's like, pretty sure a lot of people have died in this house. But look, I ain't messing with no ghost. And she just fucking leaves the farm September 1921. She's like, I'm out of here. I cannot work. I, she's my conditions. favorite character. I respect that woman. <laughs> she so comes much. She comes back. So No, no. <laughs> in true horror story fashion, she comes back. She comes back after the fact. So like, well, she's fine. She's fine. She, she lives a long and healthy life, probably. But probably <laughs> for right now, no. she leaves the farm. All right. So here's the thing to note about the Gruber family. They were very secretive, but like hmm. in the worst ways. Yeah, it like, sounds like they're bad at secrets, though, too. <laughs> they're very secretive. They didn't like to talk to their neighbors. I can't imagine why. Uh, <laughs> but also their dirty laundry was like everyone's favorite gossip. So like everyone kind of knew what was up with the groupers, but the groupers never said what was up with the groupers. So like if they were suffering... <laughs> Like, it was all kind of like gossip is how people knew about it rather than them going, guys, I can't believe it. Our mate quit because our house is haunted. <laughs> that wasn't what was up. They were kind of just like, hey, did you hear why the mate quit? Like, does anyone know about that? It's like, I don't know. Maybe the house is haunted. <laughs> it's it's more like that where it's like everyone's got their eye on the groupers. The group is like, don't look at me. Don't look yeah. over here. I get, hey, I get it. Yeah. I don't want to be those people. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, the groupers were also in no hurry to leave. They're like, this is our farm. We live here. Our, our secrets are our secrets. You can gossip about us all this one, but you can't get rid of us that easy. <laughs> and people were like, okay, I guess. Yeah. So well, the hauntings... Keep gossiping. Yeah, so the hauntings kept ramping up. I That's, that's a twist. I didn't expect this to get haunted. Yeah, no, well, we're, we're getting haunted. Oh, we're getting haunted. We're getting real spooky up we're in here. Get, we're right. getting spooky not just not only is this a mass murder it is a haunted horror story we're getting real spooky up in here i we're did not get, expect that we're getting spooky so the hauntings are ramping up and the groupers are like Psh. bitch ass ghosts we ain't of no ghosts yeah bitch ass ghosts so yeah. the noises in the walls at night were starting to get pretty pronounced they were very loud and they were ramping up if they were more frequent so they were like shutters in the attic things like moving in the walls just like Classic Whis- haunted stuff. Classic haunted stuff. Yeah. And it just kind of continued until March of 1922. Specifically March of... Ni- and then it just, like, stopped. Well, if you remember the story at, that I... The story kind of ends March 1922. Oh, it sure do. It sure do. So it let's sure talk about March 1922. Do. Okay. So, Andreas found a Munich newspaper dated March 22nd. 1922 in his house. Now remember, Munich is 43 miles away from Kaifek. Yeah. And the groupers didn't subscribe to this newspaper. It just showed up one day in their house. I don't like that. And Andreas is like, well, I didn't I didn't buy this. I didn't subscribe to this newspaper, so he tries to return it to the postman. He's like, hey, I think you delivered this to my house accidentally. Like, this isn't mine. Like, you should give this to whoever ordered it. Yeah. And the postie was like, nobody in this area subscribes to this newspaper. Oh. Yeah. Dude, so like, nobody... my eyes are watering right now. Like, that's actually so <laughs> creepy. Like, where did this thing come from? What the heck? Yeah. This newspaper just shows up one day. Nobody in the area is subscribed to this Munich-specific newspaper. So, a few days later, after being heavily lubricated with a couple of beers in town... Andreas told his neighbors that he found footsteps leading from the woods heading to the farm, but there was no second set 
leading back into the woods. It was just a perfectly preserved set of tracks in the freshly fallen snow leading into the house. Nope. That's a nope for me. You burn it down. You go stay in the inn in town. There's... Yeah. Oh my god. That's not okay. How do you, like, actually see that in your house? Like, and then just, like, go to bed. Like, nothing happened. You're just like, yeah. <laughs> I saw some footprints. Like, no problem, though, right? Like, uh, right, guys? What's, what's the alternative? Like, Cecilia, her parents are probably dead at this point. Andreas doesn't have a good relationship with his parents, so he can't go back to his paternal farm. Where do they go? Victoria's husband is dead. She's got two small kids. They're not friends with any of their neighbors. Where do you go? All you have is this farm. I don't know. And now everyone knows it's haunted. Who are they going to sell it to? I don't know. So it's one, it, so it 100% is like they should have left. But then you've got to remember, where would they go? What would you do? Yeah. So there, think about that. Put um, that in your pop of smoking. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it, Well, sir. we're not. Well, let's get into it. So... All the while, since the housemaid started, since she quit, since up until March 1922, the noises in the attic have continued. That has been a consistent... Did they just, like, never check the attic? They just, like, hear this No, they did. Okay. They went up to investigate the attic, and there was nobody in there. But, but what about the footprints in the snow and also the newspaper? (sighs) This mass murder is unsolved. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, let's keep going. Let's keep talking about the weird stuff. Yeah. So, shortly after, a house key goes missing. Oh? Yeah. As if it wasn't bad enough. Yep. So, footprints in snow, weird noises in attic, newspaper shows up out of nowhere, and one of the house keys just goes. I mean, it, it literally could have been a ghost up until this point, but ghosts don't need keys, lady. That's the that's the problem here, is ghosts don't need keys. I, they, they read their very well-read ghosts. What else is there to do in the afterlife other than read about current events? But they don't need keys, and that's where it's this true. turns from a ghost story into a person story. For me, it, it you no, you're a hundred. You would know because you did out the whole thing about fire ghosts, and never once did you mention that those ghosts needed they keys. Didn't need I them. would believe you. Yeah, ghosts don't need keys. You've heard it here first. That's that's the one problem with the story. Yeah. Well, according like despite all of the stuff that's happening in the house, there's also strange behavior noted in the livestock because remember this is a farm mm-hmm. and they have animals. Animals always know what's wrong. So cows, animals always know what's wrong. So the cows in particular were increasingly restless, and one cow in particular had escaped a handful of times, just got loose, broke free, was running amok in the farm. (laughs) And the family even said that they secured this cow, they locked it in the barn, like they locked the door, they tied this cow up, they double, triple, quadruple checked to make sure this cow wasn't going anywhere. Next day it was running free on the farm. I, I think one of them should have stayed out in the barn sleep with the barn. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That wouldn't be me, though. I would have suggested someone else do it. I would have come up with the yeah. idea, but someone else is going to do it. They're like, can anybody, that's not us, yeah. go, go sleep in the yard with the cows. Go, go sleep in the barn. That's why they couldn't hold down a housemaid. Because they were like, new maid, go sleep in the barn for the night and see how the cow was getting out. She's like, oh, no. No, thank you. It's cold out not there. Not doing that. So, the like Andreas confesses all of this over a couple of beers, and the neighbors are like, um, 
you got like a that's a problem yeah my guy like that's a serious heckin problem and they even tried to give andreas a gun for protection from whatever was in the attic whatever was taking the keys whatever was delivering the newspapers they were like you need to like protect yourself you need to protect your family here take a gun yeah here's a gun yeah and andreas was like nah i'm good andreas my guy no yeah he's like i don't need a gun <sighs> and the neighbors are like okay well can you at least like call the police like can you call them and like maybe have them check it out yeah. and andreas was like what are they gonna do and arrest a ghost oh my god my guy so he's like, nah, gun out for me, police out for me, no thank you, BB. Man. Yeah. This is this is classic horror movie like silliness of just like, nah. It, it really it is a horror movie. I think that this is this is a horror movie. Like this is there's nothing more to say about this. It's just a bad situation and bad decisions and just bad. It's just bad. It's just, yeah, it's just bad. And then it just gets worse. You're like, wow, that's bad. And then worse and then worse and then worse. But then what can they do? Where do they go? <sighs> What's the alternative? I think is my, my question that I'm posing to you and to our listener. What's the alternative? I, for one, would go have a slumber party with my neighbors that don't necessarily like me, but know who I am. Yeah, go hang out with Lauren Schlittenbauer. Like, hey, our house is haunted. Yeah. Can we stay over? I think they would be understanding under the circumstances. Well, we're going to talk about the neighbors after. And maybe this will change your mind. Oh. I don't know. Oh. Maybe. Anyway. So, Andreas is like, no gun, no police. We'll deal with this ourselves. The Gruber way. The Gruber way, we deal with it ourselves. And the neighbor's like, all right, well, we can't tell you what to do, so... That'll be that. Yeah. So March 30th, 1922. Oh no, we're getting close. We're getting real close. Andreas discovers that a lock on the machine room door has been broken open. So this was one of the few outdoor buildings that didn't connect to the main house. Mm -hmm. Like it was attached, but it wasn't like a direct line into the main house. Okay. So there was no threat of someone using this as an internal walkway to get to the main house. Gotcha. Like, the stables were connected and the barns were connected, but this particular machine room, it was an isolated room. It was it was attached to the barn, but... Yeah, okay. it was like, well, it's on a lock thing. is broken, but yeah. my family's not in danger, even though we're missing a house. Key. Yeah, okay. I beg to diff, but... So, yeah. There were also traces of an attempted break-in on a door that led to the feeding room. So... Someone, someone's a skirting around this farm. Yeah. Someone's trying to get in. And they got in. So, March 31st, 1922. Oh, no. Celie, little baby uh, Celia, she was reported as being tired at school and fell asleep in class. Hmm. When asked why, she reported that the whole family had spent the night before searching the woods for their mother, Victoria. Excusez-moi? Yeah. See, Victoria had fled the house, screaming that someone was watching her. Uh, she just ran away. Like, she literally is just like, someone is watching me goodbye and just left her family and ran out into the woods alone. So she she starts getting worked up. She's like, people said, the family, there is someone watching me. I'm scared. And this ends up in a violent quarrel. And I didn't say with who, but I can only assume it was with her father, Andreas. Yeah. And it and this violent quarrel ended up with Victoria fleeing into the woods. Oh my gosh. And it took hours to find her. Oh my gosh. When they did find her, 
she was still convinced that there was someone in the house and was inconsolable. I can only imagine what she saw. And we'll never know. We'll never know what she saw. Yeah. Oh, I hate that for her. I hate that for her. Because clearly she saw someone. And they're just like, no, you're just... You're just... Your eyes are playing tricks on you. You're just hallucinating. Is that a woman in hysterics that I see over there? Oh. Is that a is that a hysterical woman? Ugh, another one? Oh. I just... Just let her go into the woods. She'll calm down eventually. Right? And after, like, three hours, they're like, man, she's still not back. And, I mean, the fact that they made her seven-year-old daughter go into the woods to look for her... That really says a lot about society at the time. Yeah. Uh, so... Wild. Also that morning, March 31st, 1922, Victoria and Andreas go shopping in town. And Andreas notes to a hardware store owner that there were nocturnal noises in the attic and a cow had gotten loose in the night. Define nocturnal noises for me. It didn't say. It just said nocturnal noises in in parentheses. Okay. Nocturnal noises. Hmm. Noises of the nocturnal variety. Yeah. I, w- I want to see that under, yeah. like, a subtitle one day on a show. Like, you know, just... not just <laughs> Nocturnal noises. <Yeah. laughs> That's, like, some, like, what we do in the shadows. Like, they're just... It's, like, a scene of them just doing random things, and they're just, like, nocturnal noises. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. It. Yes. That's what's happening in the attic. It's three vampires just, dancing. Just, just, just random standard nocturnal it. noises. Yeah, just classic nocturnal noises. Oh, my gosh. You've solved Chinterkaifik. Well done. <laughs> No. <laughs> so, later that same day, around 11 a.m., the Gruber's new housemaid, a woman named Maria Baumgartner, mm-hmm. was escorted by her sister to Hinterkaifeck. For her first day of work. So, her, very fir- her first day of work was the next day. Mm. Okay. So, Maria Baumgartner was 45, and her first day of work was supposed to be April 1st. Um, according to her sister... Maria had a shorter right leg, so she walked with a limp. Okay. It's, it's She also, um, in some of the, the, the case reports and some of the testimony that her sister said, she also stated that Maria was mentally handicapped, mm, okay. which is why she struggled to find work or, or a husband. That was a big thing. Ah, gotcha. Um, she was also allegedly uh, terminated by her previous employer because she didn't want a handicapped person to work for her. Oh, so. Well, I mean, it was good that they were letting her come to work there, I guess. Unfortunate under the circumstances, though. Yeah, it's. I, I think Maria had a really rough life, and I think people were very quick to dismiss her. Yeah. And I think the groupers were desperate, and I think it was just kind of like, we need, we need a housemaid, our house is haunted. She's the only one that can do the work, just get her in here, and then we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Hmm. So. That's unfortunate. At any rate, Maria moved into Hinterkaifeg on March 31st, and her sister left her in the care of the groupers at 6 p.m. Oh, gosh. Maria's sister was likely the last person to see the Gruber family and her sister alive. April 1st, 1922. Two coffee salesmen named Hans and Edward Shirovsky came to Hinterkaifeg sometime in the morning, expecting the Gruber, um, expecting the Gruber family to place an order with them. Mm-hmm. The two knocked on the door repeatedly, and even knocked on a window but there was no answer. Oh, no. The two observed that they could hear the cows moving, and there was smoke coming out of the chimney, so the fact that no one came to the door was a little odd. Yeah, it wasn't like back, like, you know, now, where you can just be, like, not home. Like, it's, it's pretty obvious that someone's home. And they're just kind of like, you just, like, stiffen us? Like, yeah, it's like, there's smoke coming out the chimney, the animals, the animals moving around, they're like, hey, you want to buy some coffee? Yeah. Like, hey, like... 
at least answer the door and say no. Yeah, exactly. They're just like, man, those rude grouper people just not answering the door. But also, like, they were the rude grouper people. They were known as the rude grouper people. So I guess this behavior wasn't necessarily unexpected. Yeah. Didn't raise that many red flags. No, which is kind of what explains what happens next. So these, these two brothers, Hans and Edward, they walk around the yard. Didn't see anybody around. They noted that the gate to the machine house was open because it had been broken into the night before. Yeah. Um, the two were not alarmed. They were like, you know, it's just the groupers being the groupers. They're just antisocial fucks. They don't want to talk with us. They left the farm. Yeah. That evening, a neighbor named Michael Pohl walked past the house on his way home from work. He noted that the kitchen door was open and he could see either a heater or a stove was on. Okay. As he was passing, someone shined a light into his eyes from a pocket lantern as he was passing the farm. And, you know, as one would ex- expect to believe, he just assumed that that man was Andreas Gruber, and he was like, all right, he's just being a dick. Yeah. Okay. And then he left. Yeah. That is so suspicious and creepy and horrible, and I don't believe that that was Andreas for a minute. April 2nd, 1922. The whole family missed Sunday Mass. Oh. That was a no-no. Yeah. You don't miss church. And the neighbors were like, that's a big no-no. Like, even though it's like it's the Grubers, like, that's a that's a dig move for the Grubers. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't do that. But they were also like, ah, oh, but, like, the Grubers, they're, like, they're secretive. They don't like, they don't really like us. So they were like, mm, you know, maybe the whole family just, like, came down with an illness. Maybe, like, they're all just sick. Yeah. And because they're the Grubers, they just didn't tell anyone and they just closed the doors. So they were like, oh, okay, well, it's like, that was really weird. And kind of a dick move, but like... A grouper's gonna do what a grouper's gonna do. Yeah, they're like, we don't think that much on it. Yeah. There's also reports of a neighbor's son coming to buy lard from the farm. But he tried the door, knocked, waited several minutes, didn't get a response. So we left. Hmm. April 3rd, 1922. The days are just ticking by. Silly Mrs. School. And everyone's like, that's a bit weird. Yeah, in combination with the mismatch and the not answering the door and the shining the light in the eyes and just leaving random doors open. And come on, guys, someone go check on this family. Well, someone did go check on this family. Finally. And they went to investigate the house, but the livestock were well cared for. They were fed and there was smoke coming out of the chimney. So they're like, oh, well, I guess the sickness thing is a thing. Maybe the family is just ill. They didn't come to church. Celie's just so unwell that she can't come to school. Things will return to normal sooner or later, so they left. <sighs> a postman came by to drop off the mail and noted that the back door was partially open. He also noted that it was odd because um, baby Yosef, the, little, the, the newborn, he was normally put in like a stroller in the kitchen and he didn't see it in the kitchen. So through the crack of the, the, back, the back kitchen door, he didn't see the stroller and he was like, that's strange, that usually that's there. Um... But he's also like, well, you know, everyone in town is saying that the groupers are unwell, so maybe just baby Yosef's with his mother, Victoria. Hanging out in the woods, running away like they usually do. Yeah, just, you know, as one as one is off to do. He dropped off the post, then he left. Wow. No one is asking real questions. Everyone is, like, mildly concerned, but also, like, cannot be fucked. Like, they literally just, like, cannot be fucked. Like, they are just like, you know what? Like, that's probably a problem, but it's not my problem. And... 
Yeah, it's it really is. It's the reputation of the family. It's it's the rumors and the gossip of the family. It's like, look what happens if you get involved with the family. Look what happened to Lorenz. Look what happened to the Schlittenbauers. Yeah. Like, if you get close to this family, you get nothing but misfortune. So it's kind of like we need them to do business with us, but we're not really invested in their well-being. It's just sort of like they're there. They're they're grumpy. They're there. They're a problem. But they're there. Yeah. Like, we just sort of let them be. They let us be. We do our business. They do their business. We don't mess with each other. That's it. And that's... And it really comes through in the story as people were like, yeah, I mean, guess that's the Grubers. Yeah, I, like... It's weird how, like you said, like just invested everyone is in like the gossip and the rumors and wanting to talk about these people when it comes down to like their actual well-being. Like something is clearly off right here, like a kid not coming to school, like them not showing up for church, like and just know everyone's just like, yeah, that's that's kind of weird. Like it, it really, really shows the lack of of care and just like the reputation that this family really carried, because like that is just mind boggling. Well, April 4th. 1922. A repairman named Albert Hoffner arrived at Hinterkaifeck to repair an engine. So Albert had made a deal already with Andreas. He'd already communicated. He's like, scheduling an appointment. Here's the payment up front. Like, I'm going to come on this day to fix the engine. You know to expect me. Gotcha. So okay. he was he was a wanted visitor. Yeah, this was a prearranged thing. Yeah, this was this was way before anything. Okay. So he knocks on the door and he shouts for the family like, hey, it's me. It's Albert Hoffner. I'm here to fix your engine. And there was no response. And he waited for an hour. Okay. He waited, knocking on the door, calling out for people. He waited, he did that for an hour. No response. So he kind of was like, let me just, let me just look around. Yeah. Like, maybe I just caught them on an off day. Yeah. So he walks around, he sees that the livestock is well cared for. They're fed, they're taken care of, they're watered. And he could hear the family dog inside the barn. Oh, which was locked. Oh. But he saw that the machine room door was open. And he's like, hey, that's where the engine is. Yeah. He'd also noticed that the machine room door had been fitted with a new lock. I'm literally at a loss for words right now. Like, that is just too much for me. So our boy Albert, he's like, I guess the whole family must be out. So I'll just I'll just go in there, get my work done. And the family will be back when I'm done and we'll we'll talk about it then. Yeah, okay, sure. Albert goes into the machine room and he starts, he just begins his repairs. He reported to people, uh, sorry, he reported to police that he whistled and sang the entire time that he was working on this engine so that if somebody did come home, they would absolutely hear him. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's it's Albert. He's coming to fix the engine. We can go and greet him because we know he's here. Yes, yes. So he deliberately made as much noise as possible to signal to whoever came home yeah. that he was there. I'm working on your engine just in case you come home. You know, the classic song. How did you know the words? It's so crazy. <laughs> it's my, I used, my mom used to sing that to me as I fell asleep every night. Are you are you perhaps of, of German descent? <laughs> like it's a classic German lullaby, yeah. It made its yeah, way over to the western, you know, part of the United States. I, I believe it, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of fact for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love a lot of it. <laughs> it's the first one. So, yeah, he sang the whole time, and he did this for four and a half hours. 
this man's dedicated, okay? I like how no yeah. one's caring at all. And this one man is out here holding it down for the whole town. And it's just like, you know what, man? I Grubers, I got you. Yeah, he was there for five and a half hours in total. But one just waiting and four and a half were just doing his job that he was paid and to do. And singing the whole time. Like five and a half, putting on singing a Singing the show. whole time. He was singing opera by the end of it. He was just like, oh, yeah. (laughs) The cows were like, that's so cool. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Well done, Albert. (laughs) Well, he concluded his work and there was still no sign of the family. Sus. And so he's like, he's like, that's super heckin' sus that like I've been here for five and a half hours and I have not seen a single human being. Yeah. But he's like, well, I guess they're, they're just... That's just the groupers being groupers, I guess. Yeah. So he starts to back up and he starts to leave. But as he's leaving, he saw that the barn door was now open. And the family dog was now tied up outside the front door. That is literally the creepiest thing ever. So he checks the front door. He's like, okay, well, maybe they were just being dicks about it. They came home. They heard me (laughs) singing. I was putting on the show of my life. Like, let me me see if I can get someone's attention front door is still locked and there's still no response at what point do you call the police oh my god Uh, yeah at what point do you call the police right so albert's like all right family's home supposedly but nobody came to greet me when they got in yeah don't like no don't like that no don't like that i need to tell someone about this i need to i need to i need to communicate my feelings to somebody yeah so he's like i know who i'll tell I'm going to tell that guy, Lauren Schlittenbauer. Everyone loves him. He's the town guide. Everyone knows. He knows what's up. Man, Maybe he knows something. I had hope for all of a half a second. <laughs> Don't talk to him. So Albert goes to Lorenz and he's like, hey, buddy, t- guide of the town, friend of everybody in this town. I got a real bad feeling about Hinterkaifeck. And Lorenz is like, why are you worried? Why, why, would you, why would you be worried? The groupers are just the groupers. They're just assholes. Yeah. And Lorenz is like, yeah, it's kind of weird that nobody's heard from them, but, like, calm down. And Albert's like, nobody. Like, weird stuff. I was there for five and a half hours. Weird stuff was happening, and I don't like it. Yeah. And Lorenz is like, no worries. I'm going to send my sons to go and investigate. His sons, Johan and Josef, another Josef, and Johan, who were 16 and 9. I mean, they had no problem sending the 7-year-old out to look for the mom. It really seems like child's safety. It's, it's just, just a thing. Yeah. It's just a thing in Kaifeng. Yeah. You just sent your kids out to go investigate these horrible things. They're just meat shields. So he sends, yeah, pretty much. He's like, that's what children are for, right? We have a bunch of them, and we send them out in the woods, and we just don't hope for the best. And we'll just have another one. Yeah, it's easy. Uh, so yeah, Lorenz sends his, his sons, who are 16 and 9, to Hinter Kaifeng, like, just scope around, kids. See what you can find. Like, see what you do. So the, so the kids go. The boys go and take a look around the farm. They see the dog tied up. They see the cared-for livestock don't see a single person and they come back and they're like it's as he says dad it's really fucking weird but like but what else can we do yeah yeah like we're children we have no authority (laughs) and we have no say in the matter we're not going into the random house yeah we don't know i'm happy that they came back alive to be honest with you yeah and lorenz is like okay all right you did you did you did good son i'll go and investigate (laughs) yeah okay so Lorenz contacts other neighbors, Michael Pohl, who was uh, a neighbor before, who got the light shined in his eyes, and a man named Jacob Siegel, and they head towards the farm. And when they got there, the barn had been relocked. Okay. 
Yeah, so the barn is now locked. So the three are like, you know, this 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 barn is doing a whole lot of crazy things. Something tells me that there might be something in this barn. Yeah. So they break the lock and enter the barn. And what do they find? And, and immediately they get the smell of decay. And that's where we're going to end part one. You did not tell me that this was going to be a two-parter. I sure didn't. And, uh, you know, surprise, <laughs> it's a two-parter. <laughs> well, all that I can say is I'm really glad I'm not the spookery audience because I get to hear part two right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you get you, you get the, you get the, priv- you get the spookery privileges, ma'am. You've, you're the VIP. You're in the restricted section BB. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but yes, that was our part one of our Hinterkaifeck. That was just the spooky what the fuck. And we'll get into the the crime, the discovery, and the suspects in our next episode. Ma'am, I'm just, I'm reeling. This case had every, like, genuinely, like, I, I can't believe how spooky it is. I need to know what's going to happen from here. I just, like, <laughs> what, who's in the house? Yeah, and, and it's like, maybe I have the answers for you, and maybe I don't. I just, I just don't know. But it's it's such a cool case, and I'm so glad that you're you're in it with me because like man, like it's kind of got everything, right? It's kind of got that that creepy. It's got that haunted. It's got that you know it could be, it might be, and I I can't wait to hear like how you digest the the suspects because I have a feeling I think I I think I know which way you're leaning, but I'm gonna <laughs> see I'm gonna see if I can undo that line of thinking. I, I, I'm uh, yeah, confident. We'll see. I mean. Stranger things have happened, but I'm pretty pretty heavily slanted currently. Um, you know, I uh, I just yeah, I need to know. I need to know. <laughs> I got to know. Yeah. And you know, maybe you'll never know. Maybe you'll never know. But thank you for going on part one journey with me, man. What a what a fun tale. What a what a what a what a crazy tale. God, you know how you just you, I love a good axe murder. What can I say? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see what happens uh, in part two. But thank you so much for part one. Uh, yeah. Until and next time. Yeah. Stay spooky, everyone. Bye-bye. 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 Yes, excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Farewell. Ah, <laughs> Adviracen. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>